Amen. Please be seated. If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 26, as we continue our study of this wonderful book, really at the the center of uh, the story of Isaac. If you were with us last week, or if you weren't, just as a way of reminder, where we have reached at this uh, point in our narrative, we're in Genesis chapter 26, we're going to pick up in verse 18. Isaac has um, been cast out of Gerar. He had settled there, was doing great things. He was doing terrible things. Unfortunately, much like his father, he pawned his wife off as his sister to protect himself from potential harm. Uh, That sin was found out. He had to repent and confess that uh, before Abimelech. He grew in might and strength and wealth and possessions, so much so that he became too mighty for the people of the land, and so they asked him to leave. And we find him this day in the valley of Gerar, outside of the city, dwelling there. And, And what I assume he would have said, now is a time of rest. We've dealt with the conflict, now things can be easy, right? But as often is the case, that's not the case. And we see that the challenges he faces continue with him, even in the valley. You know, this passage um, really is about God's peace. And God's peace, no matter the circumstances we find ourselves in. And we know this well, especially in the season we find ourselves in. To live at peace in this life is to live at peace with God. But to live at peace with God doesn't always mean we will be at peace with the world. There will be conflict. There will be challenges. There will be problems. As we live holy lives, they will look at us as different. In fact, that will be the cause of conflict a lot of times. As we seek to obey God, the world will say, why? Why do you do that? Why do you live that way? Why did you make that decision, that statement, that take that action? And lest it surprise us that this is true, Jesus tells us that this would be the case. John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it had hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of it, the world hates you. We will be at conflict with the world because we are at peace with God. But how do we get that peace? How do we live at peace with God? That's what our passage is about this morning, and it's what I invite you to follow along with me as we read. This is where we hear of God's peace, which comes from following His path and trusting in His promises. I'd like to read for us. I'm actually going to back up one verse to verse 17. Um, So I'll read from Genesis chapter 26, starting in 17, and I want to read down to the 25th verse. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there was a well of water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. 
And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you please bow with me as we once again go to our Lord in prayer and ask his blessing upon this time. Dear Heavenly Father, we have heard from your word this day, but you have told us in Scripture, unless you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, we will not understand. And so I pray, O Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, give us receptive hearts this day, that we might learn to trust in your promises, that we might rest in your plan for our lives. And by doing so, we might live in peace. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you. May we hear from you now through the preaching of your word. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If we're honest, it sometimes can be difficult to cope with the fact that we can be blessed by God. As Christians, we are called blessed by God. And yet, at the same time, ridiculed by the world for that blessing. But this isn't something new, is it? If you read through the scriptural accounts over and over again, the people of God have been oppressed, ridiculed, outcast, misunderstood by those around them within their own families. We can go all the way back to the beginning and we can think of um, Adam and Eve's first children, Cain and Abel. They offer sacrifices unto the Lord. Abel offers a pleasing sacrifice of his first fruit in abundance to God. And God praises him for his sacrifice. Cain offers a sacrifice and it is not done with a sincere heart. And it is not done wholly and rightly unto the Lord. And it is not accepted. And in anger, Cain murders his brother. Abel is blessed by God. Cain does not accept it and resorts to violence. We can go a little further in the narrative. We can think of those in the days of Noah and the great flood. He was called to trust in the Lord to build an ark. And you can imagine the the ridicule he faced over the span of building that ark. They had not seen rain. They did not understand. Why are you building a great boat in the desert? What are you preparing for? We can go to the story of Lot, which we've recently heard. And we think of his life as he lived in a city of sin. And he pleaded with the people. We're, we're told in Peter that he would sit at the gate and he would, he would call out their sinfulness. And it burdened his heart that they enacted in such wicked practices. And yet when the mob is formed, they come to tear him and his house apart. We looked at um, a sermon series not too long ago in First and Second Thessalonians, which really is about preparing for persecution, for living in light of the return of Christ, but facing the day-to-day persecution that will come until then. Over and over again, the Scriptures prepare us for peace with God and opposition with the world. 
And this dichotomy is, is really what the, this passage is about. And this passage is part of a greater passage. And if you, you read my preparation email, you would have realized, like, Aaron, why didn't you go to 35? And it's because there's so much in 1 through, or 18 to 25. We've got to cover that today uh, before we get to the latter verses. There's so much richness here. But this, this whole section, 18 to the end of the chapter, um, really speaks to being at peace with God and living in opposition to the world. And so this morning, we're really going to just take two points we're going to see the need, the call, the demand to trust in God's plan. We see that in Isaac's life in 18 to 22. And then we're going to see not only do we trust in God's plan, but we also trust in His promises. And we see that in verses 23 to 25. And so I invite you now to consider these along with me. First, beginning with trusting in the plan of God. And we know for certain that this was God's plan for Isaac. Remember, he's fleeing uh, the land of Canaan. There's a famine in the land. He's been cast out of Gerar. Now he's in this valley. He's in between one group of people that don't like him and another place that does not have the sustenance that he needs. It seems like a tough place to be, but the Lord had planted him here. And what does he do? He gets to work. He gets to work redigging the wells redigging the wells that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father. He gave them the names that his father had given them. This is not unfamiliar land for him. In some ways, he was coming home. He was coming back to the place of his father. He was redoing the work that his father had done. And even here, we, we, we see a potential challenge to the plan of God. God has brought him here. He sets out to do the work that God has prepared before him. But if you read into the words and you think back to the history of what's going on, we, we see the potential problem. The problem is Abraham, when he dug these wells, he made a treaty with King Abimelech. He made a promise before him that these would belong to me and to my house. How long? Forever. That they would belong to my house. But what has happened Abraham died, and the Philistines said, well, we're done with that, and they bury the wells. And so Abraham, or Isaac sets out to dig them back up, and Isaac names them what his father had named them. Wells that should have been his possession, that should have belonged to him. But that's not enough, and so conflict uh, comes again. The herdsmen come. He digs a well. No, that's ours. You can't have that. And then again, he digs another well. No, you can't have that. That's ours. And so over and over again, they, they seek to, to do that which is good and right. And the people say, no, we won't allow it. And I, I want to impress upon you something here, and it, it's, it's easy to miss. Consider the demeanor of Isaac. Couldn't he have spoken harshly with the Philistines and with the people of Gerar, the herdsmen. Couldn't he have demanded, I evoke God upon you to remember, to honor, to call to memory that which you have promised. You are the failures here. You are the oath breakers here. You are the ones who are in the wrong. And not only could he have done it, didn't he have right to do it? 
But we see this man and we see his heart and we see his demeanor in this. They tell him you can't have that well, so he just moves a little ways off and digs another. And they tell him you can't have that well, and he just moves a little ways off and digs another. We, we see the heart of a man here who is trusting in the plan of God. You need water to live, especially as you care for animals. You do not have water. You do not have healthy animals. You have problems. And yet he just moves and seeks the Lord's will and moves and seeks the Lord's will. Let him serve as a reminder for us. Let, let Isaac give us an example here of how we should treat the problems in our own lives, how we should interact when opposition comes. It's so easy to fall into temptation, to grumble, to complain, to assert our authority. But how many times is victory won through peace and through calm intentions? And calm words. Those of you uh, that are parents, and I'm speaking to myself as much here as anyone else, which one works more? Demanding your authority or calmly and rationally with love and mercy making your case known and showing your children that which is right? Isaac gives us a, a great case study here for how that takes place. And what happens? It's the third well after being told no and moving farther and being told no and moving farther. It's the third well that is dug. And then um, the herdsman, oh, you can have that one. That's fine. And what does Isaac do? He declares this, the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. He doesn't say, look how good I am at digging wells. There has to be some talent in that, right? You don't know what's under the ground. They don't have the imaging technology that we do now. But he digs a well, he digs a well, he digs a well, and he digs a well. He gives the credit to God. He trusts in God's plan. God will provide. The Lord has made room for us. He gives credit where credit is due. Let this serve as our first path to peace this morning. And let me ask you, are you anxious today? Are you worried about what the future will hold? Are you unsure about certain things in your life? A big meeting, getting your child potty trained, teaching your teenager to safely drive. Let me ask you this, in those challenges, in those moments, in those hardships, in those times of difficulty, are you saying, I will rest in the plan of God? Are you saying, He is good, and He is good for me? Saying, His will will be done. Or instead, are you asserting your dominance? Are you demanding to be heard? Are you demanding your status? Are you demanding your right to be in this place? Well, let us use the demeanor of Isaac to see that while it would be easy to demand our rights, it is far better to trust and rest upon the Lord. Many of us need to seek this plan of God for our lives today. Many of us, if we're honest, this is what we need to hear, and it probably stings a little bit. And so we need comfort. We need hope. How? How, pastor? You're telling me this is what I've got to do, and I don't know if I like it. How do I do it? Well, to do it, we've got to go to the second point. We trust in the plan of God. We find peace in God's plan by resting on His promises. By hearing what He's already said, what He's already declared He will do. And we see that very clearly in Isaac's life. We don't have to wait long. Um, it, it, he's told, or he tells us. He 
He built an altar there, called upon the name of the Lord, pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. The conclusion of this section. He goes and digs this well. The Lord speaks to him, and then he gets to work. Again, we ask those questions. How? How how can we trust in God? Well, we listen to his promises. So how do you get from here, A, you dig a well, it gets taken. You dig a well, it gets taken. You dig a well, no one fights over it. To B, we pitch our tent and we get busy for the Lord. It's what's in the middle, the promises of God. And what the Lord is doing here really is reaffirming that which he's already promised to Isaac. That may bring up a good question. Why then does he need the reminder? If it's a reaffirmation or a retelling or again telling this, why can't he just listen the first time? Why can't he just trust what God has said and then go about his way and live in faith and trust and hope? And again, I call us to our own hearts as evidence. How often do we need to be told again? How often do we need to be reminded of God's promises? How often do we find ourselves going our way because we didn't do what God said to do in the first place? In some ways, you could make the the argument that our weekly worship service is just that. It is a retelling, a reaffirmation of the promises of God. And so why does the Lord tell Isaac again what he has done and promised and hoped? Because Isaac needed to hear it. Why does the Lord tell us over and over again what he has done, his promises, and fill us with his hope? Because we need to hear it again. And so may we not grow weary of hearing these retellings in the lives of the patriarchs through Abraham, through Isaac, and through um, his children. But every time it comes up, may we be reminded and thank God, thank you, Lord, for I need your reminder too. And so what is exactly does the Lord remind Isaac of in this season of life and difficulty? Well, God calls Isaac's attention to five truths. And I, I call your attention to these five truths today. Do you want the peace of God? Do you want to live your life in peace and in contentment, resting and hoping fully upon who God is and what He's done? Then listen to these five truths and apply them to your life. And they are, they are in a particular order. The Lord first says to Isaac, sorry, I want to quote it here. Verse 24, The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Pause. The first thing that the Lord calls to Isaac's attention is this is who I am. This is who I am. The the word there, God, is the word uh, Hebrew word Elohim. And as we hear that word, a title for God, often used in the Old Testament, we think back to the previous 25 chapters. In fact, we can go all the way back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Do you see what God's doing here for Isaac? Remember my promises. Remember the promises to your father and to his father. And to his father, 
and how I rescued them during the flood, and how I treated them in the times of trials and persecution, and how I was faithful to Seth, and how I was faithful to Adam. What God is saying is, I am God, period, full stop. I am Him. I am He. The God who has been faithful from the beginning. The God who was before the beginning. The God who created the heavens and the earth. This is who I am. The first step to being at peace in this life and in the life to come is knowing who God is. That's it. That is so important. Oh, that we would know God. If I could impress anything upon you this morning, if I, as, as a pastor, could give you anything in this life, it would be that you would know this God, the God of this book, that this is His Word, and we are called to be His people and to live holy lives unto Him. It's our greatest charge as ministers is that they would see Jesus through our preaching. So the first step, the most important step to living at peace is knowing God. You have to know Him. And from there, He tells Isaac these brief but oh so important words. I am the God of Abraham, your father, period. Next two words. Probably the most important words in this whole chapter. Fear not. Fear not. Let's grasp the significance of this. Why was Isaac told not to fear? How can we live in confidence despite what's going on in the world around us? How can we be at peace while everything seems to be falling apart, while there seems to be turmoil, chaos reigns, and the devil seems to be winning the war? How do we live at peace when so much fear is around us? By remembering these two words, fear not, were not the first two words he gave him. Where did he start? I am God. Fear not. We can live without fear by knowing who God is. We can live in peace because God is God. We're not in charge, He is. We're not sovereign, He is. It's not our world, it is His. We're not reigning, He is. You live in peace because of me. Anytime our session has the opportunity either to do a uh, membership interview for membership, whether that's transfer or um, an affirmation of faith, or we have the opportunity to do a communicant interview, to interview one of our children for communicant membership. Um, after rolling them up a little bit, we'll look at anyone, whether it's an adult or a child, and we'll stand there or sit there before them and we'll ask them this question. Who is Jesus Christ? I love the responses. The face tells it. It's like, wait, like, really? Like, that's what you want to know? Absolutely, that's what we want to know. That is the most important question we could ask. And there's a couple of ways you can answer it, isn't there? Jesus Christ is God. He's God who came into this world. He lived, he died, he rose again to save people from their sin. You can give a textbook answer. You can answer a very technical and accurate way of who Jesus is. That's not what we're looking for. What we want, and we tell people, I'm not ruining the question, 
what we want, and when we have that question, whether it's for membership or a communicant um, interview, is to hear you say something a little more like this. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He came, He lived, He died, He rose again to save me from my sin. Do you notice the difference there? It's what we're being told here in Genesis. Fear not because I am your Lord and God. When you know God, you will know peace. Dear Pastor, Pastor Nathan Curry at um, Redeemer, our mother church, would say, no God, K-N-O-W God, no peace. K-N-O-W peace. No God, N-O God, no peace. N-O peace. Peace will only come by knowing our God. And so we must know who He is and what He came to do. Fear not, for I am with you. So what did Isaac have to fear from the shepherds? What did he have to worry about water? What did he have to worry about Abimelech when he knew his God? Fear not, for I am am with you and will bless you. Not only does he know God and is he known by God, he is blessed by God. God has provided and will provide for him that which he needs. And how do we receive that one? How how do we benefit from that point? We accept it. We accept that our Lord is good and that he will provide what we need. And I say that as if we're like, oh, that's all I've got to do. But isn't that hard? (laughs) Isn't that our heart's challenge and our mind's challenge quite often to accept the fact that God is good and he will bless his people with that which they need? That can be one of the easiest things to say and one of the hardest things to live out. But again, we ask, how do I do it? Well, you go right back to the beginning of the statement. I am the God of your father. Fear not, I am with you, and I will bless you. And then to Isaac he says, I will multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Now this is significant, and those of you that have been with us through the um, story of Abraham and now through Isaac, you know this is the great promise. This is the promise. I will provide offspring. I will give you descendants. I will not only give you descendants, I will give you descendants who know and trust in the Lord, who will rest in me. Remember, Isaac is in this land to find provision amidst a great famine. He's being pressured by Abimelech despite treaties being made. He's being harassed by herdsmen who are taken over wells. He has a great many people, animals, and possessions at this point to care for. From a worldly standpoint, opportunities for anxiety abound in the life of Isaac. Will they live? Will they find water? Will God leave them on their own? And I'm sure all of us, if we wanted to, we could add, we could help Isaac out here. Oh, Isaac, you haven't even thought about this. You really need to be anxious about this. And really, if I was in that circumstance, I would be worried about this as well. And on and on, we could pile the list up, couldn't we, of things to be worrying about, fearful of. However, the Lord closes out His promise here by saying, I will multiply your offspring. What does that mean? 
Well, you've got to be alive to have offspring. To, to bless him and to bless his children, there have to be children. To bless him and bless his children, there has to be someone to bless. And so the Lord is saying, don't worry. I will fulfill my promises to you. And this is a double assurance here. Because while the Lord is saying this to Isaac, by saying it to Isaac, he's actually fulfilling that which he said to Abraham. Because what did he say to Isaac's father, Abraham? I will bless you. And I will provide you children And I will provide you generations of people who will trust me and cling to me and hope in me. And so here we are one generation later. Isaac, the son of Abraham, there you go, promise fulfillment, is trusting in God, promise fulfillment, has had children, promise fulfillment, has been blessed richly and abundantly, promise fulfilled, and is now living by faith, and looking ahead to the days to come. And so while we read this for Isaac, we then confirm it for Abraham. So this really is a double confirmation. God is saying, I will do this, and, to, um, and, and for our sake, to his father, who's now gone to be with the Lord, he's saying, and I have done this. And so we look to this promise and go, you have and you will. You have and you will. And for those of us that live on this side of the narrative, we are left asking ourselves, has he ever stopped? To this day, has he ever said, I'm good. You know, I I did say I would take care of you and provide for you and watch over you and bless you, but I don't think I'm gonna do that this time. The Bible is 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 full over and over and over again of these promises and and instances of promise fulfillment. And so while this was promise and promise fulfilled for Isaac, it also serves as a marker to us. And now as we turn to a moment of application, we again look to Isaac. So what do we do? We find peace by trusting in God, in His plan and in His promises. So then what? What do we do? Well, look to Isaac. He gives us a perfect, again, a perfect case study. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Three points of application this morning. First, Isaac built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord. When you find peace by trusting in who God is and what he's done, you worship him. You worship God. You sacrifice to him as he has called us to sacrifice. You praise his name. Secondly, you pitch your tent there. You seek to be near the presence of the Lord. Now, am I saying we all should pack up and move? We're we're on 14 acres here. There's enough room for a few of us. We could probably get all of us when we get to tents, but um, that might be a bit tough. That's not what we're saying here. It would be a wrong application of the text. But what does it look like? It means finding a church home where the Word of God is preached and proclaimed and making every effort for your sake and the sake of your family that you're present. When opportunity comes, through Bible studies, through lessons, through teaching, in your own home as you have the opportunity to open the Word of God before your family, in your own quiet life as you have opportunity to go before the Lord in prayer and in reading of His Word, sit there. Be still and know that I am God. Take it in. And then thirdly, dig a well. 
After hearing of God's plan, after being reminded of God's promises, Isaac acted in faith, trusting that God would provide for him and for his people. Maybe there are some of you this morning, it's not that you are in a state of turmoil. Maybe you are at peace with your God. Maybe it's not that you need reminder of who God is and what he's done. You rest and and you hope in that and you trust in that. Maybe for some of you, you need to be told today, then pick up the shovel and get to digging. It's not just sit there and dwell on God. It's get up and take action. It's act in faith. Again, Isaac, at that spot where the Lord's presence was, he he received that presence. He worshiped his God. He pitched his tent there, and then he got to digging. I will trust you, Lord. I will act in faith. I will do that which you have called me to do. And for many of us, I'm, I'm sure it's the case, we need to be told, get up and get your shovel and get to digging. Live it out. You know God's plan for your life. You know his promises for your life. You just need a kick in the pants to get out there and go. My friends, I don't want you to live a life of fear. I don't want you to worry about what's ahead of you because the Lord goes before you. As we see in the life of Isaac, and it'll be evident even more so, this is kind of a precarious place to stop because we find ourselves going, well, was there water? Yes, there was, by the way. Just keep reading. There's water. But whether there's water or not, may we boldly trust God, not fear man. May we rest in His plan. May we rest in His promises. And may we take action in joy for all that He's done and all that He will do. Where the man of God digs in faith, water will be found. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, oh, these are words that are in some ways easy to say. Boy, they're hard to live out. We want your peace. We want to hope and trust and rest in you. We want to live without fear, God. But we're so used to trusting in ourselves, our own ways, our own schemes, our own ambitions. We often lose sight of the fact that we can do this because of who you are and because of what you've done. Lord, we, may we cling to Jesus Christ and his finished work on our behalf. May we hope and rest in him and him alone. And may we boldly proclaim your truth and your word to those in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our places of business, to those we come across in the streets. For they too need to hear this message of hope. And they desperately need peace, which can only come through knowing who God is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he's yet to do. And we thank you, Lord, you've recorded all that for us in your sacred word. We thank you for this time of worship. We dedicate it all to you now, yet again, in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.